Welcome to The Exam Room. I'm your host, Brian Vardabedian. I recently caught up with Dr. Todd Wallen, CEO of Kids Plus Pediatrics in Pittsburgh. We had a chance to talk about the rising number of anti-vaccine attacks against pediatricians. More specifically, his strategic countermeasures which have gained national attention. We cover the new role of physicians in the public space and the obligation to fight back against medical misinformation. Dr. Wallen is super progressive in the way he sees communication as central to the role of the health professional. I think you'll find some fascinating angles to this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. For most consumers, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you have the tools to do just that, empower your patients, the patient, and provide a solution, maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients really are saying about their experience. You could sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physicians, services, and even practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Com. Welcome to the exam room, Dr. Wallen. Thank you very much for having me on. So I actually knew of you long before your rise to fame in vaccine advocacy recently. Um, a few years ago, I did a program at the American Academy of Pediatrics National Meeting on Reputation Management. And um, we identified Kids Plus Pediatrics as one of the uh, great examples of how to build a Facebook presence uh, as a pediatrician. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the, uh, the recognition. So you tell us how your practice uses social media. You're clearly a leader, and I think you're probably behind this, right? How, what, what do you guys do to be so successful? Sure. Uh, when so I joined this practice in uh, 95, and it started in 72, and it's been through a couple evolutions. And in, in uh, 2006, it took on its current form of Kids Plus Pediatrics. And that's when we actually made the decision to bring on a communications director. And when I talk to a lot of people, they think, well, what the heck do you do with a communications director? Why is that even important? And I, I tell them, regardless of whatever you're doing, uh, trying to get somebody to be compliant with an asthma regimen, or if you're a car salesman to buy a car, if you're a banker, you want them to invest, you're trying mm-hmm. to make people change behavior. And so there's no more powerful way than to do that with communication. So we made we made the decision to bring on a communications director. So Todd, is that that's public facing communication or internal communication? It's both. So um, his name's Chad Herman. He is really he touches every aspect, both internal and externally. And so when he mm-hmm. came on, he in two thousand six really told us how important it would be to be present on multiple platforms within social media, um, and also was really highlighting the importance of video at that point. Yeah, it's so remarkable because when you talk to pediatricians or when I do workshops with doctors on, on reputation management or public outreach, this is totally unheard of. The fact that you were thinking about being public-facing back so many years ago is remarkable. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I will tell you that I met Chad after it was in 2009 when I wrote an op-ed regarding uh, an article that was called The Vaccine Dilemma back in 2009. Okay. And I, I wrote an op-ed that was What Dilemma? Uh, he actually responded to it. Um, I looked him up and saw he taught business communications, which was really something I had not, or he had taught communications at Carnegie Mellon University's uh, School of Business at Tepper. And I realized I really hadn't had that training. And I asked him to start coaching me, which is how it uh, led to him becoming our communications director and um you know my partners were even a little bit surprised they're like what are we going to do with a communications director and uh you know they brought him on they agreed at part-time for about three months and within three or four months they're like oh my god we need this guy full-time <laughs> so it's amazing how you and chad met i always like to say that visibility creates opportunity right and so you write this op-ed and you find each other huh yeah absolutely yeah the the, the joke is he says uh you know i i, uh, I google myself a lot so i, I found the <laughs> right. uh, uh, entity search exactly so i i saw his response but uh Really, I, you know, we profess and we, we just recently did an advocacy video for the Pennsylvania AAP and the whole message there was to be a better communicator. Um, mm -hmm. and, and along uh, his advice, Chad's advice, you know, we immediately got involved in Twitter and Facebook not long after I think Pinterest and we had a YouTube and have a YouTube and a Vimeo channel. And um, about four years ago, we built out a full production studio for video. So tell, bring us up to now and tell us about how if we look at that Facebook page, uh, if that's your core presence, uh, how do you use that specifically? I, I know you have weekly segments that you put out. Yeah, Just we summarize we what you how you use it. Yeah, yeah. On average, we post there about twice a day. Um, the mantra for the page is that our followers, um, you know, may not know exactly what they're going to get, but they know they're going to like it, right? So it's not mm -hmm. banging them over the head with car seats and sunscreen and vaccinations every day. It could be the invention of the chocolate chip cookie, right? It could be a cool event mm -hmm. that's in the area. Um, we have followers uh, and we're up to, I don't know, I think around uh, 8,500 or plus uh, followers. And, um, you know, a lot of them are followers that, that follow us even from outside of the area. So we have families that leave but still stay connected. We have people following us from, you know, outside of the country. And it's a really vibrant page. It has a lot of good bi-directionality to it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I always see with hospital Facebook pages or even practice Facebook pages is the the pushing of the practice. And the reality is that in order to attract an audience uh, in the Pittsburgh area, for example, you have to create that kind of value that brings people in. You can't be pushing your own stuff all the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's really, if you think about it and you know, I, I would say we probably have millennials and, and Xers and boomers all following it, but it has to be relevant to them and it has to be interesting, you know, so it can't just be the thing that I see with social media, particularly for kind of conglomerated hospital owned practices, they have like one big page. And what's the right. relevance? What's the what, what resonates if you're representing 30 different practices out there with some hospital-based message? It really has to be, you know, know your audience, first role communication, and, and have a message that's resonating and meaningful to them. Yeah, this is amazing. You know, I've always suggested that I was a communicator who became a physician. And so uh, I've kind of found my voice through this sort of stuff. And it's we're, we're kind of a kindred spirit because of hearing you speak, it's kind of like the way I think about things. So this is amazing. Let me ask you about Instagram. I didn't see if you guys have an Instagram presence. We do. This past weekend, I was at a at a at a, at a meeting in San Francisco with uh, three uh, young doctors who use Instagram, and um, I don't use it so much. But it's it's remarkable how different that medium is, right? How do you guys use that? 
Yeah, I mean, Chad is again in charge of our um, all of our social media, and so I am not mm-hmm. as much on the Instagram page. But right, again, right. it's very pictorial based. Um, you st- certainly have the ability, and you should put notations on there and and meaningful. Um, uh, you know, basically clauses. Now, some people try and get around that by basically doing pictures of documents. Which I, right, I think those right. are people that are trying to bend Instagram to their will. But again, it's a, it's a separate segment, right? So people that are on our Twitter feed are not necessarily on our Facebook feed, which mm-hmm. may not yeah. be on our Instagram feed. And if you look at Instagram, the demographic is younger and it's definitely a really fast growing demographic and it, and it has a, an international bend to it as well, um, as does you know uh, closed loops like, like what that but but we we are on instagram we're not on snapchat um we are on twitter youtube um, vimeo uh, uh facebook and youtube yeah to your point i have learned through my blog 33 charts that there are you know all these people gather in different channels and so you have to have a multi-channel approach in order to hit everyone in your in absolutely your space, right? yeah absolutely so as as listeners have hopefully read uh todd the world is experiencing a resurgence of measles uh, there were pockets of outbreaks due in part to low rates of immunization. And of course, as you and I both know, for years, the shrill voice of a vocal minority have hijacked that public conversation around vaccines. Your public presence has been hit a little bit by this. I know you and your practice had an experience with a kind of attack from anti-vaccine voices. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So in 2017, in August, I think it was August 23rd, um, we went ahead and um, produced in our our production studio with all of our providers a video that was about a 90-second PSA that was titled, We Prevent Cancer. And it was um, speaking to families about the use of HPV vaccine as cancer prevention. And, mm-hmm. and really, at that point, the CDC had listed HPV utilization as, a, as one of their top five goals because it was being underutilized. And we had cervical and other HPV-related cancers that were now literally preventable. And this vaccine was being underutilized because of misinformation and disinformation. Okay. Um, so the, so, so what basically happened is, um, we post the, uh, video August 23rd and about three weeks later, um, I think it was September 15th, um, the first of the anti-vaccine attack starts on our, uh, Facebook page. And I was actually at the AAP national conference and exhibition in Chicago at the time. So we still have the screenshot saved between Chad, our communications director and I saying, Oh, it looks like it's been found, you know, by the anti-vax group. And, um, you know, he saw one and then he texted me, oh, there's two or three more. Well, before you know it, within six days and uh, maybe first six to eight days, we had over 800 attackers who posted over 10,000 times to our Facebook page um, in coordinated fashion, um, attacking our Facebook ratings, which we uh, quickly shut off. Um, And then in coordinated fashion, started going after our Yelp and our Google reviews and even contemplated um, jamming our phone lines. And you might ask, how do I know all this? Uh, well, I can tell you inside these anti-vaccine groups, there are good guys uh, mm-hmm. and good girls who are um, lurking. And we started getting anonymous uh, direct messages with screenshots saying, hey, you better be prepared. This is what they're planning. And you can actually see them coordinating. Hey, they shut off. Wow. Their, yeah. They shut off their Facebook reviews. Let's go after them on Google and Yelp. They can't protect themselves there. Those are forever. 
Let's jam up their phone lines. Here's their phone. Holy number. Toledo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was a these were there was a mole inside, right? Yeah, there was and apparently this is true, I believe, in most of the groups. But yep, that's where yeah. we were getting the screenshots from. And and Tal, what is when you say an attack, what constitutes an attack to a pediatric practice that has a public presence? Yeah, fair enough. Um look, we have had one star reviews from people that have said, we don't vaccinate and this group won't accept us, you know, and, and we think that right. this is this is draconian and we're giving them one star. And that's not a coordinated attack. That's somebody that doesn't right. agree with your policy. In, mm-hmm. in a way, you know, Chad and, 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 and I've talked about, we wear that as a badge of honor. If you look at our typical reviews, it's not 5.0 because we have a couple reviews where people say that. And other parents, and, and I, we talk about this, we've, we've been out on the road for about eight years talking about the importance of using social media in your practice or as a provider. But um, if you breed a culture, a social media culture around your work or your practice's work, it becomes somewhat self-protecting because as soon as we get one of those reviews or comments, multiple people come on and say, that's right. why I chose this practice, or my child almost died from Hib, or my child was deathly ill with pertussis. And you know, we want to know when we walk into that waiting room that they've done their best to protect us from vaccine-preventable disease. So to, to answer your other question, how do, how do you uh, qualify it as an attack? Those, you know, single one-offs are not attacks. I, and they may disagree with you, but we don't view them as a coordinated attack. This attack was coordinated. It was global. It was 24-7. You know, Chad, when we're out on, on, on the road giving this talk, we say that yeah, he says, I, I was up for, you know, six to eight, 18-hour days. Literally, they were coming in the attacks faster than he could hide, ban, and delete them. Mm-hmm. Um and so literally he would, you know, work to about 11 or 1130, go to sleep and kind of dread waking up the next morning because there were attacks from New Zealand and Australia and yeah. Ireland and Central Europe. And so, you know, he would just do his best the next day. And the tides didn't really turn until kind of reinforcements arrived. So tell me how Chad responded to this, how you responded to this as a practice. I guess you shut down some of your... Uh, the capacity of the public to sort of rank you and rate you, right? So, so on Facebook, we did because right away, you know, once mm-hmm. those come in, then you're going to be having to deal with Facebook to remove fraudulent reviews. And this is a really big issue for us is this notion of weaponized, weaponized social media. So right. what we're seeing now, whether it's vaccine or if it's climate change or if it's something that a group doesn't believe in or like, they are now taking to bullying threatening and some of those threats extended death threats and then this notion of inflicting harm right Mm -hmm. they inflict harm with these negative reviews because particularly and if you're a pediatrician your audience are typically millennial parents and how many millennials or gen xers or boomers would go to a restaurant with a one-star review would they sit there and really say let's dig into this and see if there's something going on or would they go to the restaurant that's less than a mile away that has a four-star review and so mm. they they know this. And we've interviewed multiple groups now that have been attacked. And several have suffered. I mean, don't forget, we have a dedicated full-time communications director. When we give this talk, people you know raise their hand and say, would you do it again? And we say, yeah, but I understand their hesitancy. We did a recent survey at a, at a conference down at the uh, Practice Management Institute conference in um, Nashville. And um, of, of the people that said that they use social media, which is more than half, um, 51% of the group said it was a doctor running the social media. So imagine if you right. under uh, you start to endure this kind of coordinated global attack and you're still trying to see patients. I mean, you know, Chad yeah. could at least... It's not, sustain- every- it's not sustainable. 
Right. He spent every waking hour yeah, fighting yeah. these attacks. But, you know, you can understand these groups are dreading the notion of an attack. Do I have the bandwidth of the time? And also, do I have the financial capacity to, like, deal with my ratings going down and then trying to, to fight to get them back? And, by the way, the other part of the story is Google and Yelp ratings are not forever. <laughs> so you can't no, you right. can battle It's a stream. This. It's all a stream, right? Yeah. Hey everybody, this is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. So when you and your practice and Chad looked at what was happening, what did you learn about how anti-vaxxers are organized in their in their social realm? Yeah. So, and, and to be clear, just for anybody that's listening, I mean, let's, let's get the record straight that 75% plus in the United States are accepting of vaccines, just want to go ahead and vaccinate. You have about 23% that are considered vaccine hesitant. And there's nothing wrong with being hesitant, particularly because now people are immersed in media, social media, and, and have questions because they're faced with more disinformation. And it's really only one to 2% that are anti-vaccine. Um, so, um, how they organize. So what I would tell you what what is being noted, and, and we've talked, you know, we've talked to Dr. Offit, Paul Offit, and Peter Hotez and Richard Penn about this, um, as well as a lot of other vaccine advocates. But there's a real organization going on, a growing organization of um, groups that are involved in this anti-vaccine messaging. Um, Dr. Pan pointed out that in California, I think there were four separate groups that were kind of merging into a single group. In our research, and um, that was a, a very uh, kind of a, a new angle for us, was that when we were attacked, we we chose to go down a few different paths right away. And we went back and looked at the email chain. Um, we were attacked, like I said, um, September 15th. By October, mid-October, we had decided let's do some really academic kind of rigorous research on this attack. Um, Analytics. Yeah, right. We weren't the first group to be attacked. I mean, there, were, but we were definitely one of the biggest attacks that we've seen. Um, but we knew we wouldn't be the last. So we said, let's do a couple things. One, we said, let's let's do research. So we went to the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health, and particularly their Center on uh, Research on um, Media Technology and Health. And, and let's look deeply into this. Like you said, let's analyze it. And by the way, that um, produced an article that came out in the journal Vaccine just last week. Um, the other thing we decided to do was say, let's, let's um, create a toolkit for, for pediatricians and other health advocates to deal with these types of anti-science attacks. Mm-hmm. And, and then a, a third path was to create a kind of a rapid response, kind of virtual cavalry. And the fourth path for us was doing a kind of a media and awareness campaign. Very good. And so is that shots heard around the world? Is this whole thing collectively shots heard around the world? Yeah, we're we're still figuring out like the toolkit. We uh, Right now we were calling it a social media strategy guide and anti-vaccine combat toolkit. Um, but the shots heard around the world is um, kind of the name we've we've given to the this virtual cavalry or rapid response uh, network. And we're, we actually are going to call the awareness campaign this year uh, shots heard around the world tour. 
because <laughs> uh, gotcha, get yeah. the bust. Yeah, because last year it was called Six Days in September. We gave that presentation over fifteen times to audiences literally all over the world, including um, and. Uh, uh, we were in Vienna and France talking on this, but we gave it to the CDC at their National Immunization Conference, all related to the work you're doing as well, which is this social media presence, putting out factual information and being prepared to deal with this disinformation and these attacks. Yeah. Well, this sounds like a remarkable tool, Todd. And I, I'm just so concerned when general pediatricians hear this, of course, that they say to themselves, this just isn't what I signed up for, and they're apt to back down, right? Yeah, that is absolutely our biggest concern. Uh, during our interviews in the recent LA Times article that was done on our practice, um, we gave them some names of other practices to talk to. And interestingly, uh, Chad, our communications director, talked to several groups who refused to be interviewed for fear of kind of getting the bullseye wow. on them again. So we know for a fact that it's not just you know, onesie, twosie practices or individuals, but even large health systems will steer clear of a vaccine post for fear of triggering these attacks, which when you create that vacuum, you know who's going to fill it. It's going to be disinformation and misinformation and pseudoscience. Right. So I, I, right. I agree with you entirely that we have an obligation as healthcare professionals to be out there and to really provide factual information. And there's unequivocal data saying that the greatest influencer and impactor is hearing this information from trusted healthcare professionals, particularly somebody's own doctor, pediatrician, family practice doctor. Yeah, the Pew American Interlife, uh, Internet Project uh, showed that a couple of years ago, that despite the rise in alternate forms of uh, of information, physicians and certainly pediatricians remain the most trusted source of medical information, and we need to leverage that for sure. So let's talk about this approach to anti-vaxxers. It's interesting if you just measure the sentiment on Twitter, you can look at celebrities like Z-Dog MD, who over the past several days has really taken an in-your-face approach, an angry approach to uh, those people who choose not to vaccinate their children. On the flip side, we have public advocates like Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, who choose to take a gentler approach with the suggestion that logic and education is really all that's needed. Do you think there's a, there's a place in the public discourse for this, for our natural inclination to be angry? Is there a role for that? Or do we need to pull back and and do this, uh, this, this education approach? Yeah, I, I look, I like both. Um, I certainly find Z-Dog to be incredibly entertaining and funny. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think that angry tone is absolutely right. Tell me one physician you've come across, like in the hallways, that, that is seeing a kid or a patient suffering from misinformation or disinformation because of a poor choice that was made, and now right. you see this kid suffering. I can't think of one physician that I've ever come across or healthcare provider that's not irate. Um, but I get it that, you know, people were concerned about that professional decorum and their public persona. And so, right. you know, Z-Dog's really got an amazing platform that he's created to, to use humor and sometimes anger, but oftentimes more just entertainment to deliver a message. Wendy Sue, again, as you said, a, a quieter, gentle, gentler, uh, approach. You know, I would say that, that we're, you know, we, we, really try and maintain that level of professional decorum too. Um, but in the midst of an attack, how to handle the attacks and the attackers. Um, what I will tell you was what we saw in our attack 
um, when we put out the kind of plea for help, like I said, I was sitting there at the national meeting at the AAP and so I could verbally ask for help. Then we started going out on um, email. So Vince Ionelli came to our aid, SOPM, the section on administration and practice management came to our aid and, and the physician moms group, oh my God, 60,000 strong, you know, wow. they were able to do kind of the fight for us in some ways because we couldn't really lash out. You know, you have a, again, you have a professional page, but boy, these advocates and these allies, uh, they arrived with, you know, armed with data and explosives. They really That's threw amazing. Down. Yeah, it was, it was tremendous. You had built this network around you that served as sort of a, a defense mechanism, right? So, yeah, what I would say is we cultivated a page with mostly, you know, patients and, and, and families, mm -hmm. really, in the community. We hadn't necessarily built this level of, of kind of <clears throat> buffering with these kind of other medical professionals until we put out the plea for help. But that's exactly where this notion for Shots Heard or Shots Heard Around the World um, came up, which is... We don't want this happening to somebody else where they don't have a place to go for help. They shouldn't have to be well-connected or sitting at the national meeting at the AAP to ask for help. So that's why we're kind of housing the, these signal fires of Gondor right here at Kids Plus Pediatrics in Pittsburgh. And so we've now created, um, you know, if people are interested in joining, it's, it's basically emailing us at join at shotsherd.com. And when they send us the email, they'll get a, a, a survey monkey, which will run them through some questions that allow us to vet them because we certainly want to make sure they're pro-science right. and pro-vaccine. And once they're vetted and accepted, <clears throat> we actually are launching this next week. Um, they will be, you know, ready to be notified. And actually, we're also going to, you know, have them be the eyes and ears for other attacks they may, they be, may be noting. So, Ty, using uh, email as a um, as a as a core way to disseminate these kinds of transactions. So, e email is going to start it off. There will be a closed Facebook group, um, and there will be a Twitter page as well. But again, Twitter is kind of open to everybody. So, we'll we'll use each of these social media platforms in a bit of a different way. Um, the email group is going to be kind of a, a private blast to the people that are already vetted, and Got they'll it. be they'll be made aware. Yeah, email's powerful. We we kind of forget the value of email. I started a newsletter a couple of years ago, and it's been it's remarkable how powerful when someone lets you into their inbox, how powerful that that can be, and we forget that sometimes. Yeah. So there's another tension playing out in the public space. I want to take your temperature on this, and that is um, how we should be or how networks or social networks should be controlling information that's on their platforms. Um, if you look at the January 2019 editorial in the Journal of the American Heart Association, 22 editors-in-chief of uh, major cardiovascular journals suggested the social networks need to vet, edit, and peer review every social media post, which I said was crazy because I've always suggested that we can't control the conversation, that all we can do is join it. Mm -hmm. I think that's I, – I sense that's where you're at. Is that – Absolutely positively. Yeah. yeah, we are not there to, um, you know, sanitize the page. As a matter of fact, if you look at the audience of millennials, they want authenticity. Um, yeah, right. They want immediacy. So I think if you want the most, if you're really striving to have a robust social media platform, you need to be responsive and you need to be authentic. Um, if you are, you know, we don't, as I said, we don't get rid of dissenting voices on our page as long as they're there in good faith and want to have a dialogue. Exactly. You know, yeah. the, the one thing I can tell you is that, you know, Chad points out when, when we've given this talk over the past year, while he banned, you know, 880 some people and uh, deleted over 10,000 posts in the seven years before that attack, he had banned 
35 people, 33 of which were just trying to sell stuff on our page, 30, or two other people that had threatening posts, so we clearly removed those. And the mm-hmm. 100 posts were, like I said, just people plying their wares and trying to sell things. The whole point is, and, and he likes to represent himself as a rabid you know, First Amendment free speech guy. We are all about that as are millennials. If they get a hint that you're kind of polishing and sanitizing your page, right. you will lose people so quickly. They, you know, this, this won't be for them. And what about this move of uh, Amazon to remove some of the anti-vaccine videos? Um, emotionally, I, I, I kind of want to jump on board with it, but I think it's a slippery slope, right? Yeah, you get to a slippery slope, but let's let's be let's be frank and straight up here. These social media platforms absolutely positively profited and benefited from the anti-science sensationalized post, right? So they mm-hmm. they rigged their algorithms to and put ads on the sites that were essentially clickbait. And if you look at gotcha. kind of cognitive science and the communication sciences that is a really building field on communication science right now, you will see, and I, I know you know this, that negative and scary messages last longer and reach a much broader broader audience than, you know, regular factual information. So here's social media platforms benefiting and profiting from that. And so, yeah, they're reeling it back in now and they're saying, yeah, 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 we're going to, we're going to clean up the search engine. So you get factual information and we'll, we'll remove the ads from there. But you know, what I'll tell you, Brian, is that that doesn't get rid of the bad information. It makes mm-hmm. it a little bit harder to find. And what it also doesn't do is create more good information, which is why what you're doing and what you are espousing to other uh, physicians to get our voices out there is exactly where we need to be. And and it's natural for millennial providers to want to do this. We just need to support them, which is why, you know, at Kids Plus, we're creating these resources like the toolkit and the virtual cavalry like Shots Heard and, and this awareness campaign. Because if we don't get rid of the second part, the untold story of weaponized attacks, against providers and pro-science people and fraudulent reviews, they're going to be silenced or they're going to be reluctant to enter into the fray. Lee Acey, who's the director of Center for Social Media at the Mayo Clinic, has always suggested that the solution to pollution is dilution. So, you know, I've always, you know, said that had 10 years ago, the 50,000 members of the American Academy of Pediatrics each, you know, created a little bit of content and joined the conversation around vaccines and autism some of this may not have evolved this way, I think, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, if they're, and they don't even have to create their own content. They could just repost or retweet. Right. Um, or curate. And, yeah, or curate. And there's some really compelling data as well that if naive audiences are inoculated with factual information, that the disinformation doesn't hold, take hold, and doesn't grow the way it does if they aren't first exposed to factual information. So so if they're if they receive good information first and then are exposed to disinformation, it doesn't have the same impact. And so yet another reason why we need to be out there. And and nothing, you know, politics and pediatric pediatrics are both local, right? So you know, you have right. a clear connection to your patients, your patient base, their families and your community. And so nothing's more powerful than that. Not some you know, wacky kind of national or international conspiracy that's being thrown around. If they say, hey, there's Doc Jones, or that's our nurse practitioner, or hey, there's our physician assistant. Mm-hmm. And if they hear that voice, they already have a name and a face and a reputation to match that to. It's more powerful locally, huh? Way more powerful, way more powerful. So like you, Todd, I do a lot of education on the use of public media as medical professionals. And 
honestly, I'm still amazed that we remain disorganized in preparing the next generation for the kind of world that you're you're talking about. This you know this conversation here, uh, and, you know, in short of thirty minutes of scare tactics, you know, scare tactics that pediatric trainees uh, you know get at the outset of their training, we're not doing anything to prepare this next generation. I mean, should we be doing more? I mean, what should we be doing in pediatric residencies or in even in internal medicine residencies to prepare this next generation for this totally different dystopic world that you described? Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with you that this is literally there should be a mandate around healthcare providers and particularly physicians learning on how to harness social media because it really you know reaches people's three hundred sixty five days a year. I, I even tell pediatricians, even with the uh, periodicity that with, with which we see patients with the bright future future schedule, one month, two months, four months, six months, they're lucky if they retain one or two things you say. The kid's crying. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a bunch of other things going on at the visit. Um, So they need to have their voices out there. I will give a huge kudos. Um, We were invited out to speak a couple times at Nationwide Children's in Columbus. And mm-hmm. they, they actually have dedicated staff, um, Dr. Mike with his Pediacast and Dave right. Stukas with the uh, myth busting that he does with Allergy.Kid. Right. Um, uh, they have actually dedicated time and I believe education around the use of social media now for the residents, which I think is just tremendous. And then they have dedicated resources to be on these social media platforms. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have kind of held the AAP accountable on some level. We've been kind of banging the drum that the American Academy of Pediatrics could probably do more in terms of organizing some of this as well. And that's something that we could uh, look at here over the next few years, I think, as a goal for us. Yeah, I am. I'm also a member of the Council on Communications and Media at the AAP. And um, they are they're working to do this. Again, it, it, mm-hmm, right. you know, I think more resources. And again, we're trying to contribute to some of those resources from Kids Plus Pediatrics. But um, you know, it still gets back down to your institution and does your hospital or does your practice, you know, really buy in. So this is a question that is kind of burning in my head listening to you talk and 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 maybe you could just answer it. Do you see yourself as even a small media company? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, we have I, I don't necessarily have, say I guess I think of it as a media company, but media's core and communication, I would say, is core to what we do. Right. So it is it is at the essence of literally everything we do. It's very purposeful at Kids Plus internally and externally every time we create a message. And the fact that we have, you know, a production studio for video, we're actually just launching a podcast within the next quarter. Um, we take it really seriously. So do we think of ourselves as a communication company? I guess I haven't thought of it that way, but we do think right. of, uh, com- communications is core to everything we do. So how can people find out about um, you and your practice and all the amazing media that you create? Sure. Um, our website can take you to everything you need. So it's uh, www.kidsplusphgh.com. Um, and you can even uh, uh, see the, the video that we prevent cancer video, which is uh, still up there as well. Um, but yeah, that'll take you to all our social media platforms and let you know what we're doing. And um, we're probably coming to a city near you. I'm, I'm still right. Uh, we're, we're on the road and doing a lot of uh, lecturing and presentations on, on this topic and just communications in general. Well, you quoted Paul Offit previously. And uh, he said that nothing educates like the virus and nothing educates like outbreaks. So this resurgence of measles has a way of getting us to think about our beliefs and our priorities. And that goes for parents as well as pediatricians. 
And uh, Todd, you and your work, uh, you and Chad's work done, you know, in your practice uh, has really served as an example of how we should uh, leverage technology to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. Uh, so thank you for joining us here. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals and healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. Thank you for joining us in the exam room. If you like what you heard here, please rate the program, review us, or let folks know about us. And if you have any really cool ideas that you'd like discussed here, please feel free to let us know. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.